Welcome back to the Jennifer and Wendy Show. We are broadcasting live from New Setters Fine Jewelry at 2961 Doherty Ferry Road. Uh, as you have seen in the news, Special Counsel Robert Hur yesterday filed his report on his investigation of President Biden's handling of classified information. So we thought we would call in the one, the only KTRS legal analyst and St. Louis University law professor, Greg Willard, for his take on this. Good morning, Professor. Jennifer, good morning to you and Wendy. What did Special Counsel Robert Hur's report conclude? It concluded that uh, our sitting president, like his predecessor, has engaged in conduct that would leave any fair-minded American gobsmacked. The uh, special counsel, Mr. Herr, uh, has been investigating President Biden's handling of classified information. His investigation spanned a nearly 40-40 year time period. He filed a 387-page report, and as I say, I think to any fair-minded American, it's gobsmacking. What he found and concluded was that President Biden willfully retained and disclosed highly classified information and materials after he was a private citizen following his vice presidency. Those materials included highly classified documents about military and foreign policy in Afghanistan, uh, notebooks where uh, then Vice President Biden took notes and made entries of highly classified national security and intelligence sources and methods. Those materials were found during, and let me emphasize, voluntary searches by FBI agents in the garage, in his office, and in his basement at his home in Wilmington. But in the end, the special counsel um, wrote that they had decided and declined to prosecute President Biden, Jennifer. I'm really not sure where to start. The fact that the special prosecutor was a Trump appointee, many people are making a a great deal out of that. Is that that a fair point to make, Greg? Um, did he did he over politicize when he brought up the president's memory, well intentioned, but you know losing his memory, that kind of thing? I mean, you walk right but, into the face of of the the political firestorm when you do that kind of thing. Are these fair criticisms of of the special counselor? They are by any measure, Wendy, fair criticisms. Now. Um, President Biden's supporters have have questioned some of the the special counsel's comments about the memory issues, and I'll I'll speak to those quickly in a second. But, um, again, I think if we kind of push to the side for a moment, rabid partisan on both sides, readers of this report, and we take um, 
Mr. and Mrs. John Q. American in the middle, I think they would be just devastated reading this. But what the special counsel said, Wendy, in his report, was that he and his investigators from the FBI, they did not think there was sufficient evidence to prove willfulness on President Biden's part to withhold and disclose these information, this information. And then there's another piece that he found, and, and that's getting a lot of the criticism you referenced, Wendy, and I think unfairly, is when a prosecutor decides whether to prosecute, he or she has to look not only at the evidence they have, but the evidence and the proof that the defendant would put on. The special counsel in this case very appropriately commented on that second piece, what President Biden would put on. And what the special counsel concluded was that President Biden would likely present himself to a jury as he did in the interviews with the special counsel and the FBI as, quote, a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory, close quote. And he gave some examples, Wendy, of, of where Mr. Biden's memory was failing him. Um, Mr. Biden couldn't remember the years that he was vice president of the United States. Couldn't recall it. Um, he could not recall when his term ended and when he became a vice, when he became a private citizen, which obviously is important in this context. And he couldn't recall even within a number of years the tragic death of his son, Bo. So the special counsel had to take that into account, Wendy, in making his charging decision. He took that into account as one of the reasons that he did not charge Mr. Biden. And, and he explained that to the American people in this report. Mr. Biden's supporters are upset with that. Okay, I get it. But I think when we, when we look at the job of any prosecutor, including this prosecutor, were he to have left that out would have been a failure on his part one day. Greg, there was a lot of talk last night about the 25th Amendment. Why is that relevant to the special counsel's report about President Biden? Well, there are there are those particularly strong partisan opponents of um, President Biden who are beginning to, you know, make rumblings, and I think in significant part partisan political rumblings, that he just may not be up to the job, given these memory lapses that the FBI and the special counsel saw and that that um, we, we've seen just within the last week. And, and that has begun a, a little rumble discussion of the Section 4 of the 25th Amendment. Now, let's take it out of the context of President Biden and put it in the context of President Woodrow Wilson, who suffered a devastating and debilitating stroke with about a year and a half left to go in his term. And by all accounts, he was 
singularly incapable of discharging the duties of the White House. Instead, he stayed in the residence, and his wife basically uh, ran interference for the for his duties. Well, with the Twenty Fifth Amendment, Section Four, the Vice President, together with a majority of the Cabinet, can vote to transfer the power of the presidency to the vice president until the president is able to resume those duties. So I don't think there's a groundswell of the 25th Amendment, but I I do think it's important for our listeners just to be aware of it because for partisan reasons, at least at the outset, uh, they, they probably will begin to hear a little bit of chirping about that, Jennifer. As you can imagine, uh, Greg, we are getting some text uh, for you on the text line, 84126, KTRS legal analyst and St. Louis University law professor Greg Willard joining us to talk about President Biden's press conference. And actually, uh, that is part of the story, um, because you being a former White House uh, employee, you, you could see the missteps sort of unfolding on the part of his staff in the West Wing, couldn't you? Oh, oh my goodness. If, if our listeners could have been sitting in the kitchen with my wife, Annie, and me last night during, during uh, President Biden's uh, televised address, she would have seen both of us figuratively just clenching our fists and pounding the table. We were both so angry, so angry at the abject failure of his communication staff. Mm. And there's two pieces to that. Number one is it it was manifestly apparent that this was going to be an emotional and angering moment for President Biden. Understandably so. Well, when any, any person is thrust into a public spotlight at a moment when they are highly charged emotionally and with anger, um, it probably won't end well. And guess what? That address to the nation last night was a debacle. And it was a debacle because he was trying to bat batten back uh, the comments of the special counsel about his uh, frail memory. And what happened, Wendy, in the middle of his address to the American people, he talked about having the president of Mexico open the border to Gaza. Mm -hmm. Then secondly, where his staff abjectly failed him, was they allowed questions to be asked by the press. Well, quite often, as we all have seen, the the staff in advance will arrange that the questioners from the press will be selected by the president. And it brings at least a little order to it. Well, last night was the antithesis of order. It was chaos and yelling and shouting in that diplomatic treaty room. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing for the president, and I would say it was embarrassing to the American people. And that, Wendy, that's not on Joe Biden. That's on his White House staff, and sadly, they failed him last night, Wendy. 
Professor Willard, if you can hold on, we will do a little business here. Then we will continue chatting with you. And the Royal Banks of Missouri text lines open at 84126. Welcome back to the Jennifer and Wendy Show on this Friday, February 9th. We are coming to you live from Newsteaders Fine Jewelry. And we hope you'll stop by here at any time. They are all prepared for Valentine's Day. We are getting a lot of great text for Greg Willard on the text line 84126. So if you do have a question, if you were watching that press conference, um, please feel free to join the conversation. As always, it's like you're sitting here with us anyway. Greg, so many accusations of a double standard uh, when it comes to the, the documents that are at the heart of all of this. That's right, Wendy, and I think um, I think that is inevitable because the the American people have witnessed and are witnessing a situation where former President Trump is facing uh, several dozen uh, charges, felony charges, down in Florida with respect to classified documents that he retained after his presidency, and now. We have the sitting president, Mr. Biden, who got a pass last night for retaining highly classified information after he left the vice presidency. So I'll I'll put a phrase out there for our listeners, stand by for coming attractions, Um, and it's coming. Uh, The American people will be seeing in short order in the Florida case criminal case against Mr. Trump, a motion to dismiss the indictment on account of selective prosecution. That, Jennifer and Wendy, will not be a frivolous motion. It may not prevail. It may not succeed in having some or all of the charges against former President Trump dismissed, uh, but um, you, you, can't, you can't look, whether you're a lawyer, uh, a, a farmer sitting up in Pike County, Illinois on a tractor, or a nuclear physicist, um, a first-grade teacher, you can't look at these two situations and say, oh, well, they're completely different. Now, let me add uh, that may be the somewhat good news for former President Trump. Uh, the bad news for former President Trump, if I can create a verb on this Friday morning, he probably is about to get Nixoned, <laughs> as in Richard Nixoned, because there's a phrase that sprang up after the Watergate debacle. The cover-up is worse than the crime. Hmm. The crime in Watergate was what was characterized as a third-rate burglary at the Watergate office complex. That is not what brought Richard Nixon down. What brought him down was his cover-up, his obstruction of justice, and that was why he had to resign. That was the smoking gun tape. Fast forward now to former President Trump's prosecution in Florida. Several of the charges in that prosecution 
are not for the underlying classified documents, but rather for the obstruction of justice, which the grand jury alleged Mr. Trump engaged in, in trying to hide the documents from the FBI and and trying to uh, obstruct their ability to recover all those documents. In contrast to President Biden, who who voluntarily allowed for that search. So it, it may be that a motion to dismiss for selective prosecution may get some traction. It may not, but it may get some traction on the classified documents. But I think it will have tiny, tiny relevance, if any, on the cover-up charges against Mr. Trump, just as the cover-up charges were the ones that brought down his predecessor, Mr. Nixon, Wendy. Greg, we've gotten a lot of comments on our Royal Banks of Missouri text line along this line. All politics aside, says Mike from Accounting, shouldn't there be a revamp of all classified document handling procedures? And many other texters have been asking this same question. Why are they allowed to take those documents home out of the building in the first place if they are classified? Those are great, great questions, as always. And... Uh, there, there are probably many answers. Uh, let, me, let me just give a couple. Let me give one from a personal perspective. Uh, and that is this. When, when one works in the White House or in an administration, but when one works in the White House, as I did, as my wife Annie did, um, there, you know, there is one boss and one boss only, and he sits down the hall in the Oval Office. And not surprisingly, uh, all of us back then and the White House staff in subsequent years, you give tremendous deference to the president because, among other things, of the power that he has. And so if a president says, I want want this classified document put in this box – well, guess what? He's the president. He has the power to do that. He's the sitting president. But at noon on January 20th, the inauguration of his predecessor, he has zero power over those documents. No. And that is where the fulcrum, I think, for a lot of this lies. And the great questions from our texters is, is that transition from from the president or Mr. Biden's case, his vice presidency, that transition, when that moment happens, when they are no longer entitled to possess or direct those classified information, how can that transition take place? Not in a year, not in two years, not even in a week, immediately. And our texters are exactly right. Somehow, some way, and it's not more laws, but somehow, some way, there's got to be better procedures for that fulcrum of, of transitioning from an incumbent president and vice president to private citizens, because that's what happened with Mr. Pence. That's what happened clearly with Mr. Biden. And if you, if you believe um, – the public statements of former President Trump, much of that is what happened with him. He, 
it, it sounds as though many of the classified documents at Mar-a-Lago were taken out while he was president. So uh, I don't know who's going uh, to step up to the plate and show some statesmanship but in the intelligence community and otherwise. But our texters are absolutely right. There needs to be a fix. We, the American people, can't allow this to happen because the only – we are harmed by it. But there's another side to that coin. And the other side of the coin is Mr. Putin, Mr. Xi, Mr. Kim Jong-un, and our other adversaries. They, they love it. Mm, and don't sure for a do. second, lady, don't for a second, ladies, think that there were not significant attempts by our adversaries to try to get at some of these documents that these gentlemen improperly, and a grand jury has said, at least in one instance, illegally obtained. Our adversaries love it. We have got to find a fix because we, the American people, we darn well deserve it, Wendy. I don't know if you're comfortable with this part of it, but we have a text, uh, I think, that, that's begging the question. Um, the issue with President Biden is reminding me a great deal of Ronald Reagan's presidency towards the end, mm. where people were talking about the cognitive function. Some of the things that he would say years later, we found out that President Reagan had Alzheimer's during the end of his presidency and that the First Lady was doing everything possible to hide it from America. I am hearing, and I think we all are hearing anecdotally, more and more chatter about Dr. Jill Biden's culpability here. As, and as a Washington insider, not a, an attorney or a law professor, Greg, what can you share with our listeners about that part of this? Well, um, it's no secret whether it's Dr. Dr. Biden in the present case, uh, my former boss, uh, his wife, Betty Ford, uh, if you want to look in the dictionary for a, a strong, strong woman and, and a strong and supportive spouse, you'll see Betty Ford's figuratively photographed. Um, I, I think it's not fair. Let me use that term, Wendy. It's not fair to put these issues on the shoulders of the first lady. Um, if, if I want to put a lawyer hat on um, for a moment, first ladies don't take constitutional oaths. So for the American people to expect a first lady to to um, walk down to the White House briefing room and, and make a press conference on what she thinks of her, her husband, the president's cognitive function, I, I don't think that's fair, much less appropriate. But what I think is fair is for, and, and again, whether it was President Reagan, President Biden, you know, any president, I, what I think is fair is for the White House physician, uh, the vice president, and the cabinet. They all take constitutional oaths. Um, and and they have sworn an oath to the American people. And if if they think that a, a president, uh, you know, a, a cabinet secretary, um, is is cognitively at risk as to carrying out their duties. Those 
those senior officials have a, a duty to the American people to take action with respect to that perceived disability. But again, Wendy, I, I just I just don't think it's fair um, for the American people to look to look to the first ladies to uh, to shoulder that in effect constitutional burden. Uh, uh, they they have a big enough burden as first ladies, and I I don't think uh, we should we should add that to them, Wendy. But I think what's troubling people, Greg, is that the same people that you are referring to are the ones who were to have protected the president in the instance of the press conference last night. That's what makes people well, uncomfortable. Well, not quite. But but your your point is well taken in that the 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 people who failed him last night were members of his staff. Uh, members of his cabinet don't get involved. Not with, his advisors, right? Yeah, there was, they they don't cabinet officers, cabinet officials, they don't get involved with with that level of granularity in terms of activities in the White House. Um, it's it's the. It's I just the White meant House overall. I just meant overall. But overall, yes, I think if 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 there are you know senior officials even in the White House. But, you know, cabinet officials and they are noticing um, cognitive issues with with their incumbent president. Um, They they have a constitutional duty to the three of us and our listeners and the American people to to protect us. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that 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 moment has come for President Biden. But as you say, with President Reagan, certainly with the benefit of hindsight, being 2020, some dots could be connected. We could go back, as I said a moment ago, with Woodrow Wilson, for goodness sakes. Um, but the 25th Amendment was not in place back with, with President Wilson. But um, that, that's what the 25th Amendment is there for, Wendy. And if you think about it, the 25th Amendment makes my point, Section 4. Because my point is that the senior officials and the cabinet officials, they owe it to you and me and Jennifer and our listeners. They owe it to us to be mindful of any disabilities of, of the president or other officials. That, that's what Section 4 of the 25th Amendment talks about. And so um, I would hope that they would, would discharge that duty. You know, Clearly, you're hearing people on the airwaves saying, oh, that's, that's a bunch of hooey. Joe Biden is absolutely cognitively fit. Uh, there's there's no issue whatsoever. This is just partisan politics. Well, perhaps. But again, last night when he went and addressed the American people from the diplomatic treaty room and he stands there and, and says, you know, my word's not his. I am cognitively fit. And then promptly talks about calling on the president of Mexico. To open yeah. the border to Gaza. Hmm. Greg, we are up against the clock. I'm so sorry to cut you off, but we're running out of time here. We always enjoy talking to you so much. And we'll check in with you again next week. But thank you so much, KTRS legal analyst Greg Willard. Jennifer and Wendy, great to be with both of you. As always, have a wonderful weekend and stay safe.